My insulted person can stand no more. Either you sign the rules agreed twice for the or I'll leave you in the Velorosian to starve on this miserable list of planets with nothing to eat but unsolicitany. I'm Eddie Webb. <laughs> I'm Chris Vivey. And today we're going to talk about Vengeance of Varos here on Genreless. Hello, and welcome to Genreless, uh, where our cold open has just become how much we can break each other up. <laughs> well, as amusing as that is, it still does not make it worthwhile that you made me watch this piece of shit Doctor Who episode. It was not. It, it was. It was better than Twin Dilemma. Well, there's precious few things that aren't better than the Twin Dilemma. <laughs> I mean, so what? The reason why I did choose this, actually, is that... Well, there's a couple of reasons. One is that of the early Sixth Doctor era, it's, it's, the, it's the one that's the most watchable, but also it is the closest Doctor Who gets to actual cyberpunk. Uh, it has many, 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 many flaws, but it has a couple of interesting bits in here that like, you can see what a... a, a different script run a different format would have actually led to an interesting story but also i kind of like it <laughs> did you know that originally this script was supposed to have been the fifth doctor nissen and tegan i would struggle to see well actually not entirely true it was supposed to have been a little bit more comical and they removed more of the comical elements from it well, and that's that's a, that's a, actually a, a fair point. Like I, in my mind, I often compare Vengeance of Varos to something like um, uh, the Happiness Patrol or um, uh, Paradise Towers from Seventh Era, which has more comedy in it, uh, and and that is really where I think the Doctor Who dystopian sweet spot really lands. And, and so, yeah, if it was more comedic, I could see Vengeance of Varos working a lot better for the Fifth Doctor in particular. Um, this certainly has all of the joy stripped out of it, although it's not completely bereft of comedy, but the comedy it does have is very weird. I'm glad you changed your word to comedy and not joy. Cause I, I had a stinger waiting for you. If you'd say, <laughs> Oh, ugh. all right. In case people didn't know, I am not a fan of the six doctor, six doctors, initial run on television. The six doctor and audio drama. Amazing. Yep. TV adventures suck like i almost told eddie that maybe he gets like a, a ringer in to do these this episode the next one instead of <laughs> me doing it yes i endured the the first doctor in the very short dialect run of a serial i dealt with uh patrick troughton in his quirkiness for wanting to portray certain types of characters but this is a breaking point for me completely so um i so let's, let's let's take a step back um let's talk about a little bit about what's happening here peter davidson stepped away from the show and we as we talked about during his run uh, a lot of peter davidson's character was basically kind of do the opposite of tom baker um we want someone who is um 
not bombastic, uh, who's a little more kind of nuanced, has some faults, isn't uh, in, invulnerable. Uh, and we at the, t- at the time said, you know, you said you've always been a fan of the Fifth Doctor. I grew into mm-hmm. like the Fifth Doctor uh, because there was a lot of nuance there that uh, Peter Davidson kind of brought to the table. Uh, and the fans at the time were very down on Peter Davidson. So an uncharitable look at this would be that they basically just hired another baker to do the exact same thing but worse. Because they brought back a bombastic doctor who felt like he was invulnerable and lorded his lorded his knowledge over other people. And there's been a lot of kind of deconstruction as to why it doesn't work. Uh, and I think it comes down to kind of two well, three categories. The first one being is the scripts variable. Um, the scripts continue to decrease in quality in this era, which is certainly not doing anybody any favors. Um, the second is no one can be Tom Baker. Arguably, there are times even Tom Baker can't be Tom Baker. Tom Baker was a force of nature unto himself. I think part of it, though, is <clears throat> joking aside from some of the other hyperbole, is that Colin Baker was brought in to be the opposite of Davison. And he right. pulls in the bombast of Tom Baker. But what he lacks is the competence of Tom Baker on screen. Like Baker would rattle off this big thing. Tom Baker would rattle off this big thing, be huge and be successful. Colin Baker would rattle off this big thing and fail. Right. And part of the problem is uh, the third point, which is that Colin was primarily known as playing villains when he got hired. Uh, and while that worked in the case of, say, a Patrick Troughton, Patrick Troughton's villains were often a villain of the month kind of. They show up for one episode and leave. And so he had the necessary charisma to carry that for one episode. Colin Baker was primarily a long-term villain on soap operas. So he, he also shot the Fifth Doctor. He also did shoot the Fifth Doctor. Yes, he did briefly play a uh, guard in Arc of Infinity. Yeah. Okay. Woohoo! It's where, we're, it's we're where my... Yeah. My, my Discord clip of Nissa came from when she drew down a staser on the president of Gallifrey because Nissa is an MVP. Yes, when she's allowed to be. So when you're told basically, hey, we hired you because we want specifically you to do this and we want you to be bombastic and arrogant, he's going to play him coded as a villain. And that's just what happens. He's, 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 if you reframe the early Sixth Doctor as basically – in incarnation of the master, very little changes, right? Or the first doctor. Right, yeah. I mean, that's another thing. Is like, it's... <clears throat> as, as much as we gave some stick to the first doctor run, a lot of that was due to 60s pacing and some quirkiness and not figuring out the world yet. Um, I would argue the balance of getting a tetchy doctor right never really comes back until the 12th doctor. Because it's really hard to get the balance of lovable and touchy. And Colin Baker is clearly trying to grasp for that and, and doesn't get it. And by the time he starts to actually settle into the role and find his place, it's too late. Um, he's already on the way out. Well, how about we, we take a step back? How did Colin Baker get the job? And who is this Colin Baker? You say he's a villain. What do you mean he's a villain? I know Actually, that he's a an, an ex-Time Lord turned doctor with a penchant for strangling his companions. But what about before <laughs> that? Okay, so 
the main I, I mentioned uh, Human of Crones. Primarily, what I'm talking about is uh, a show called The Brothers, um, and he played uh, the, the main, Property uh, Brothers. I don't remember seeing him on that show. Yes, yes, he absolutely played the villain in The Property Brothers. It was it was a very reviled arc. We don't talk about it anymore. They, they, all the episodes have been deleted. Um, and no, it was 1974 to 76 BBC drama. Um, and he played that character for two years, right? So, I mean, that's a nice long run. Beyond that, I actually don't know much about how he got the job. So, um, I mean, he, I know, I know he was in Blake seven too. I think that may have been part of it. Oh yeah. He was, he was a, a memorable villain in Blake seven. Oh God. I love Blake seven. He, he intimidated Villa, but. At the end of the day, who didn't intimidate Villa in Blake Seven? <laughs> so one of the things was is that um J and T was at a party where Colin Baker was at, and Colin Baker was being overly entertaining to all the guests, and he needed a new actor, and he liked what he saw in the energy, so he chose Colin Baker based on that party and how awesome Colin Baker was to take on the role of the Doctor. Mm-hmm. That's how you get your job. It's like if you walk into somewhere and you see David Lynch and David Lynch likes what you're doing, he'll bring you into his TV short movie. I didn't know that part. Like I how I brought did. it all back to David Lynch. Like yeah, it was- no, I did. I did. Can I gloss over that? <laughs> uh, well, because for not everyone is David Lynch and you, not everyone can see something in someone just by a party. But some of it also is to the, the fact that Doctor Who – is nowhere near the crown jewel it was even a few years previously right like by the time jnt inherited the show it was on its way down but it was still somewhat respected uh, and that is not true anymore so while i didn't know that story it doesn't surprise me because i have heard rumors that he struggled to find anyone who would even accept the job so it may have been he was down to hiring someone at a party <laughs> I would like to imagine that it still had more esteem to the role than that, regardless of of Eric Sayer. Hey, who's Eric Sayer? Eric Sayer was a script editor at this stage. We talked about him a little bit previously. And as I alluded to before, the showrunner position at this era is actually two different positions. So the creative side is primarily on the script editor, which is why during JNT's tenure the show's wildly different in known uh and eric say words is someone who felt like the show had been too silly so the back half of baker's run baker Hermitch encouraged adding more comedy to the show i mean baker so, baker who tom sorry tom baker tom baker added more comedy to the show uh and i mean you know we to the point where one of the most well-respected comedians of the 20th century or comic writers 20th century ended up being the script editor for a season, you know? So, I mean, and again, the fans, the hardcore fans felt like this was a problem. They wanted their science fiction to be serious. And so Eric Sayer would say, cool, I will give you serious science fiction, but Dr. Who, in my opinion, is not a conceit that handles serious science fiction. Well, it just gets dour. And that's what we're in. I think I would fight on the concept of this being serious. Violent, no, no. yes. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it is serious. I'm saying it's trying to be. And it's failing partially because they don't understand what they're doing and partially because Doctor Who does not handle serious science fiction well. It's like Torchwood saying it's adult and it's adult. No, for it's, like, it's puerile. 
13 year olds. <laughs> right. It's the, oh, we could say bad words and have sex. Yeah. And that's kind of what this did, except, hey, we can shoot people on screen or hit them with poison plants. Right. Right. So it's, and again, Doctor Who absolutely can and has and will do deep, meaningful stories with dark undertones. The problem is that Doctor Who needs to leaven it with, if not humor, at least a buoyancy and energy to make it, to make the dystopic parts resonate well. And this is not it. This is, is the, oh no, the fans have told us that they want their Doctor to be serious. I mean, we're getting close to the 90s. Um, where this is starting to creep in more into media, culturally speaking. But again, like Eric Saber was just, by his own admission, not prepared to be the person to carry this to where it needed to be. I'd heard that Sayard had a very contentious relationship at this point with JNT and Colin yes. Baker. Yes. Like, not quite to physical blows, but if they could have got away with it and kept their jobs. JNT wanted there to be more comedy. Um, which Eric Sir was against. I mean, ultimately, he's getting conflicting reports, right? And also, Colin Baker was, to be fair, rightfully dismissive of the quality of the scripts. Uh, and so Eric Sayward was... It was a very difficult environment, and that does not make for good television most of the time. Is there uh, anything else you'd like to talk about the backstory or any of the people involved? I know that we, we have not given the same amount of detail i think that we have in some of the other doctors but i think we also were able to cover a lot of that initially with davison's run right. since baker and davison sort of bled together yeah i mean as much as it is so i actually i do want to say i've i met colin baker very very briefly when i was younger um i have heard people talk about colin baker all accounts colin baker is an extremely lovely man and certainly uh he has been prickly around the media around Doctor Who because he takes some of the criticisms of this era very personally. And I think that's entirely fair. You know, yeah. he did his best with what he could here. And because he is the face of this era, sometimes he himself gets lambasted when really the blame goes to other parts of the production. So there are accounts that he has been very prickly, but it's always been the case of please stop talking shit about me. So I, I've never been i've always had nothing but respect for colin and, and we talked about earlier colin was one of the very early supporters of the 13th doctor being a woman mm -hmm. um one of the first supporters of of a shooty uh as 15th doctor so so colin has, has been nothing but but a lovely bloke as far as we know and so some other random snippets that i remember from now a decade or more ago is that he was sort of a JNT standing in the role of the doctor because JNT is hand chose the costume that Colin wears. Yes. To be very loud and reminiscent, I think, of some of the clothes that he wore, like big Hawaiian shirts and everything else, if memory serves. Mm -hmm. Yep. And the network was actively trying to cancel the show at this point in time, like aggressively trying to cancel it left and right. Right, right. We are, this is, like I said, this is one of the better episodes of the run. And you could still watch this and go, yeah, I can see why the show got soft canceled near this point. Also, again, Colin has 
initially was very dismissive of the coat, very much frustrated with the coat. To the point where when Doctor Who magazine had to start doing comics of this and they had to start colorizing them, could not handle the coat. And so they wrote in a, a bullshit line about how he had to do a blue version of his coat as a morning coat for some alien thing. And so his coat was just blue in the comics for a while. <laughs> and Colin was like, can I get that coat? <laughs> I think in one of the back scene things I read is that originally he wanted something that would have been closer to like Eccleson's sort of colors, like a black yeah. and everything else. Very reminiscent of his villain betrayal, which mm-hmm. at that point in time, I think it might have gone better if it had been a more consistent visual along with the great acting, but bad script. Like if he's dressed in black and he's acting villainous as a doctor, it would have been easier for people to come on board. Actually, that's a good point. Something we had, we did kind of skip over the intent of the sixth doctor. Initially, uh, what JNT's plan was, and I use plan air quotes here. Uh, was that um, there's a throwing line we, we talked about in last episode where the fifth doctor says something feels different this time. The plan was, was that this is a regeneration gone wrong and that the sixth doctor would slowly warm up over time and eventually become the doctor we know. So it was supposed to be an act. The idea was to introduce an actual character arc to the doctor. And again, conceptually, this is not wrong because that's basically more or less Eccleston's arc, right? Was he starts mm-hmm. off as as someone who's been beaten down by war and is bitter about the universe and slowly finds wonder again. So conceptually, there's no problem here, even though at the time that was criticized. It's like no, this this as and carrying someone who has dramatic chops, who's played a villain to slowly grow into that role, makes a certain amount of sense. The problem is there's a lot of misfires, one of which is that the show misunderstood how continuity worked. They would make references to other adventures, but then when they actually do character arcs or character uh, emotional beats carrying over, insert Nissa forgetting that the master killed her father here, um, combined with the fact is that they put his regeneration – his first se- show at the end of the last season. So now fans had nine months to think about this doctor strangling a companion rather than a week to get away from yep. that to the next story. And that did uh, a destructive damage to the character of the sick doctor that he never really got away from. And on top of that, mm-hmm. you have a script editor who is much more interested in, uh, again, quote unquote serious science fiction concepts rather than emotional arcs. I mean, if anything, to make this concept work, the show needs to be even more whimsical and weird to help balance up the, the grounded character arc that's going on here. But instead the, the intent seems to be the doctor is now in this extremely dangerous universe. So he has to be a hard man and a hard universe kind of thing, which is just terrible for doctor who, which at the same time, uh, Eric had a tendency to make the doctor a secondary character in his own series. Like if we go back to even scripts that Eric himself wrote, like, with the month of fire of London, he introduced a, a thespian rogue who became the primary character of that series. And the doc, and this is like the fifth doctor, Tegan, Nissa and Adric were all sort of his companions because mm-hmm. he didn't want to write for the doctor. <laughs> and it happened again. I want to say with, um, Layton, I think is the guy's name who's fighting the Cybermen yeah. at various different points in times. So even when other people are writing scripts for him, they're still placing the doctor 
and his companion as secondary or tertiary characters. Like when we get into this proper, I think watching it, we have 15 minutes, 20 minutes for the doctor and Perry even show up to do anything. That is unreasonable. Two other things real quick. Uh, one is there's a piece of this that's culturally I didn't get when I first saw this that I have since learned about that resonates is that uh, the BBC had a service called CFAX. Uh, and what CFAX was, was actually, it was a uh, series of channels, quote unquote, which just had computer generated screens. And the idea was that these information would be constantly updated. So like they had like, they would show the weather screen like every 10, 15 minutes and it would be updated with the current weather. Um, you could uh, uh, also get access to information. And they did have a rudimentary interactive service where you could push buttons to send information to CFAX and they would update the information, you know, they'd get all the information and then show update the next screen with the current information. So the button pushing screen watching thing is actually supposed to be a criticism or an homage or a reference. It's not, it's unclear what there's, what the critique actually is here of this kind of CFAC interactive television service that was just starting to gain momentum in, in the UK at least. Cool. Uh, so, so there, there, there's, there's actually something that's being pointed at here, even though from an American perspective, I didn't know what that was going on. I just thought it was kind of generic cyberpunk Max Hedrum style interactorship. That's super cool. I am going to say that I think the crew that made Slate Industries, the RPG, uh, watched this episode and it oh, yeah. took heart with them. They they can admit it or deny it if they want to, but that that is my headcanon now. Go ahead. No, uh, I, I was going to say the other thing is that I did watch the uh, Tales of the Tardis one, which again has a beginning intro and outro. The only thing of note is that much like with... Um, the fifth doctor one there's an attempt to try to do some corrective damage to the story here uh and also other stories in six doctor era it's not great um i don't want to go into too much of it basically tries to validate perry's sexual assault and that's not great but at least they made an attempt uh the most significant thing is that the, the sixth doctor explicitly does not wear his jacket <laughs> he, he, the jack is hanging up so you know who we're talking about but colin baker is wearing a much more subdued outfit uh and i have to i have to think this was jan or sorry rusty davies other initial person saying yes i recognize you don't like the coat so we're not going to force you to wear it um and so you can put your stamp on how you would like the sixth doctor to look going forward but it's it's it was an attempt, again, Nicola Bryant and Colin Baker are, are, are lovely to see on the screen, but uh, there, there's so much damage. There's only, you want, there's only, a lot, only so much you can do in a few minutes of time. Yeah, I, I can see that. I haven't seen that one, so I may have to try to track it down somewhere. As people know, one of my favorite things when we started this was making linkages back to James Bond if they were big and blatant. And this is one that I have oh, yeah. to say because it is too easy not to. And we, one of the characters, one of the actors in this is Jason Connery, son of Sean Connery. Really? I didn't which know that. Which takes us back to James Bond. He is the, um, the rebel leader. Huh. Okay. There you go. Instant Bond linkage that was like no effort really on my part just to, to know who he was. 
I thought you were going to make a, a reference to tonally. There's a lot of Roger Moore era Bond in this too, but I, I was when we got to the acid bath and he makes a okay. clip. But I'll put it up now that Colin Baker could have been James Bond during the Roger Moore era. I could have seen it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we'll go ahead and dive in. Um, as a note, uh, do we you, have to? Yes. If Come you didn't on. Watch this. Like I did as a full episode. This is actually another minor point of trivia. These are not, this was not four 25 minute episodes. This was two 45 minute episodes. This was an attempt to change up the format that was at the time decided to be a dead end and where Doctor Who should never go. Hilarious. Which, now that you mentioned, I will point out if you notice, they still have like a random cliffhanger almost in the middle of each of these, which is weird if it's not, but yeah. All right, so uh, episode one, we'll do. I'll do roughly half an episode each of these chunks. Ugh. One more thing before we go on, since we're oh, going to talk about anyway. Sill was originally, I forgot. I think his name was Phil M something. Phil originally made the character of Sill because I think it was Isaac Isimov said that it's hard to put reptilian creatures into science fiction series, and so that mm-hmm. was sort of his impetus for making Sill. Okay. Random tidbit of knowledge. Other, you know what? Better media have been put together on, on the course for Dare, so it doesn't entirely surprise me. But also, that was not a good reason to do that. Okay. All right. Do we really have to talk about this episode? Yes. On Varos, a planet in the constellation of Cetus, the public torture of the rebel Jondar is broadcast throughout the planet. Citizens Arak and Ida watch the events from their room. Eric complains they never show anything new to watch. In addition to the lack of new programming, the two must also deal with food rationing. Also, that night will be a punch-in vote ordered by the governor, and voting is mandatory. Meanwhile, the six doctors are pairing a TARDIS console. Perry complains the doctor has caused three electrical fires, a power failure, nearly collided with a storm of asteroids, got lost in the TARDIS order twice, wiped the memory of them, wiped the memory banks, the flight computer, jettisoned three quarters of the storage hold, and burned her cold dinner. All sense of time travelers left to tell us last episode. <laughs> Minutes later, TARDIS stops. It is stalled in the middle of deep space, and the doctor can do nothing to fix it. Still, the mentor representative of the Galatron Mining Corporation is negotiating with the governor over the price of Varus's Zeiton 7 ore. Their discussion, like many others, ends in stalemate. For many years, the Galaton Mining Corporation has swindled Varos by paying far less for the ore than its market value. To make matters worse, the chief officer is in league with Sill. The governor moves on to conduct tonight's vote. He addresses the people, asking for their votes on if they should hold out longer for the fair price of the ore. The governor loses and is forced to endure human cell disintegration bombardment. The process slowly kills the target and is carried out because this is the third time his recommendations have failed to pass. The guard backs recommends the governor execute John Dar to please the citizens so he can recuperate before the next vote. Stop there. Notice how little we talked about the doctor in all of that. (laughs) All right. I guess let's do this. All right, so um, under the frustrations of this, all right, there's actually a genuinely interesting set of satirical bits here, right? Like the there, there's very kind of Thatcher era politics playing to the camera critique going on. Hey, Eddie, I'm an American that doesn't keep up with politics. Who's Thatcher? If you know what Thatcher is, go and read Wikipedia. Seriously, I, I I'm not gonna. Watch The Crown. 
and watch how Julian Anderson excellently plays Thatcher. The, Margaret, the British actress, Julian Anderson? The Irish actress, Julian Anderson. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Sir. If you really want to know the short form, is she's Ronald Reagan, but worse. There you go. Thank you. If you, if you say who's Ronald Reagan, I will just boot you off this podcast. <laughs> you know, that's not really a threat this week, my friend. <laughs> I'll do it myself. That's kind of like a privilege, actually. Um, but I mean, so there's there, there's that. There's uh, the satire of television is too violent these days. There's what appears to be the satire of people, the the British public clearly wanting their politicians to suffer, but today lands in I kind of wish politicians would suffer when they make bad political decisions. <laughs> On the whole, I, I will not lie. I like the concept that they would have to sit in that chair and put their vote out for the populace to go and see. Right. But if we're going to look at it as a larger picture, then we would also have there'd be more media control to like sway people to whatever they would really want them to vote one way or the other. Right. Right. And that's where a lot of this falls down is that it's a lot of interesting satirical bits, but they're not hanging together. Right. It's, it, it's, it, it feels again, like to a degree, Max Hedrum. One of the reasons why I like this is because there, there's some obvious connections and inspirations from and to Max Hedrum. But again, Max Hedrum has a charm that this lacks uh, partially because Max Hedrum as, as bleak as the Max Headroom show is, and we should probably talk about it at some point in time on this podcast, Max Headroom has a sense of humor about it, which goes to your earlier point. This is just walking up to the line of turning the satire into actual black comedy, and it just refuses to step over it, and as a result, it just looks mean. right? It's just, let's just keep beating on these characters, and everything's horrible and awful, and it's like, why would I come to adventure to this world. So I have a larger question for you then. That's not really a spoiler for someone's watch episode. Who is our hero for this episode? Who are we rooting for from the planet? I, I, I want to joke and say so, but that's not really happening. But you're right. I mean, there's the, we're jumping ahead slightly, but this episode ends because the doctor more or less goes, cool, I'm done. I'm out. Not because anything has changed in a positive way. <laughs> Because throughout throughout the course of the thing, normally in a in a doctor episode like this, John Dar would be the person that we are going to start rooting for throughout the course of the episode, right? Mm-hmm. And minor minor spoiler: there is zero character development and growth for that person. Zero, like, which I think is one of the reasons why I have a problem with it is that you built an an interesting world that I would like to potentially see and have the doctor do stuff in, but the doctor is secondary character. And then the character that is there that should potentially be a heroic character or protagonist for me to then follow their journey doesn't do anything. So I'm stuck with and that the whole time. It's just, nah, I'm I'm not going to, I'm done pooping. I am now ready to discuss in more. Well, no, I mean, it's a valid point because like what we're seeing here is a bit of doctor who about the numbers, right? It's the, okay, of course there's going to be a rebel leader. Of course the doctor's going to form with a rebel leader. And of course doctor's going to overthrow this unjust society. And so the whole script kind of just goes, well, it, that's just what happens. So let's just get through it. Not 
one of the reasons why, right? Of course, the doctor's going, this is unjust sight and doctor's going to overthrow it. But it doesn't, there's no emotional connection. It's just kind of corporate manipulation of exploiting local resources is bad. Well, yeah, you don't have to tell us that. You don't have to tell us that media manipulation of politics is bad. You don't have to tell us that torture is bad. And, but, and the show kind of just, and the show is kind of already even at this first part of the first episode, it's kind of coasting on that. It's just, let's show you relentlessly how bleak the society is. So you want it to stop. And it's like, I do, but I do that by turning off the TV. Something positive I will say about it though, is that while we don't get a better view into the larger world, their minor Greek chorus of that couple is a nice touch. And if yes. I remember right, though, they were added in later because JNT felt the script was too short. So it's something right. like that where initially they weren't there, which is also why they're isolated and they have no scenes with anyone else but each other. Yeah, and honestly, they're the most fun of this whole episode, right? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Of course, that's a really good analogy because they're just constantly commenting on it. Um, and you have the the loyal, straightforward Edda and Eric, who's just above it all, and they actually have. A, a, a character arc out of everyone in here because Eric comes to realize that maybe his his bloodthirsty nature is part of the problem, and Ida realizes that maybe blind loyalty to the state is not exactly an ideal thing to have. And you're right. They're just weirdly kind of floating off from the quote-unquote main action. Are you saying that they locked in this sunless room – a Camarilla member and a Sabat member. And at the end of the episode, they both become anarchs. <laughs> I'll be here all week, folks. Tip your weight staff. The other thing is my sheer frustration uh, at how Perry gets mismanaged because in this opening scene, Perry Ugh. is genuinely good. She's giving the doctor stick She's got valid points. She's pointing out his pomposity is nonsense. And if more of this happens, I think people would think of the Sixth Doctor better because if he's a pompous character and is consistently proven wrong, then we can grow to love him. The problem is that the script consistently proves him right, and so his, his arrogance is validated. <laughs> so in, in case people haven't noticed, I, I've been doing a lot of game design work for the past week or so. So my mm. brain is definitely in game design mode. And I'm referencing this specifically because one of the things for the doctor is that each doctor is slightly different. So if you're thinking of them as a character sheet, like all oh, their stats are like rearranged. Yep. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I think of the sixth doctor on the television show, I go int is one of his lower stats. Like his intelligence is one of his lower stats because yeah, trivia skill. <laughs> yes. Because he consistent goes back to my earlier point that he consistently fails and messes up doing things that all the other doctors could accomplish. Mm -hmm. And he seems to push through sheer, through like sheer constitution and willpower. Yep. And we see that throughout the course of this episode. We see it in various other episodes. If you watch six doctors run and the litany of things that Perry has listed off that he's done wrong. Yeah. And like, it's done as a joke, but what's happening is again, like, like it, initially at first glance it could seem as you're undercutting the doctor, but that's what you really need to do because you have to give him you have to make him humble in order for him to grow and so there's the, you, you could see glimpses into how this could have been actually a decent era of television combined with having perry who 
the complicated feelings of this is the man who saved me after he first met me is now a different person, so I'm going to try and save him. Setting aside the the terrible archetype of the woman trying to save a problematic man who abuses her, the point is like there is an arc here that, that could have happened. It could have been done much better, and it's confined to this one scene. So like if you enjoy the, the fun bickering banter between Barry and Doctor, well, I'll, I hope you like it because that's about all you're going to see of it in this show. <laughs> All right, so we spent a lot of time bashing what JNT had the Sixth Doctor wear. I want to take a beat to say I still can't believe the stuff that he makes Perry wear. That's yeah. it. I'm not going any more comment other than I. Ah. It's 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 clear what her intended role on the show is. So, all right, but to kind of step back before I move on. While Sill is hilariously overwritten, right? I want to defend Sill on two fronts. One, uh, the actor is quadriplegic, and that was something that uh, just those kinds of actors didn't get much work. And so, being able to find a way to have an actor like that, and and it was very clearly, it wasn't, oh, let's find a way to make this work or we had to hire quadruped actors like they really wanted this guy to do it because they loved his voice and so they rewrote the character to be in a tank to make this work from what i heard jnt was actually pushing to have different types of actors be hired and so that was an active choice on their part to do that well i mean i think it's a little bit of a, a little bit of b um i think it was they looked at him because of that mandate and then they settled on him because they really loved his voice right so i mean i, I think it was they broadened their casting reviews because of that mandate, but then they they wanted this actor specifically to do it. Uh, and so I really don't want to gloss over the fact that for 80s British television, there was an attempt at different kinds of people on the screen. So I want to I acknowledge that. And two, the manipulative corporate heads screwing over a mining company is straight up a Pertwee plotline, right? So this is not coming out of nowhere. This is not some weird average in Doctor Who. This should have been a, a slam dunk, right? This should have been just knocked out of the park uh, because this is a classic Doctor Who storyline. So it's it's illustrative to kind of look at this and go, then why did, th why did this era fail? And again, like of this era, this is one of the better ones, but I think it's be only because it's Doctor Who by the numbers and not because it's when, – when the, when the show in this era is trying to do interesting, innovative stuff, it just spectacularly fails. And this is the – okay, we're going to go on the critical classic Doctor Who and say, okay, it vaguely succeeds. Since, you, since you've went there, I'm going to put my point in here now. The blatant racism in this episode irritates the fuck out of me. Mm-hmm. And because we have two black actors throughout the entire mm -hmm. serial run, mm -hmm. both of which say absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. They are more or less enslaved. Their faces are covered mm -hmm. and they're only there for in muscle and enforcement. Right. Like this goes back to being somewhat worse than the classic era doctor who with like Toberman from the second doctor, at yeah. least there was a minor or, spark or of world. agency. Yeah. And so this is like in 86 is when this is. That was 10 to 20 years beforehand, and they did it better than what this did. Right. So right. I want to 
I want to hammer that home that like sure. that racism throughout the entire history of Doctor Who constantly reinforced in every single incarnation of the Doctor multiple times. Yeah, no, and and that's why I wanted to be kind of give those caveats here. It's like every time we're gonna be like, okay, I, I want to put this into the wind column. It's it's gonna get undercut because we're we're dealing with to be blunt, an incompetent production team. Um, and they may have had good intentions, but but they're they're continually sabotaging themselves. Uh, and it's no wonder that Colin was was very frustrated at this point, and and also Nicola Bryant. Like those are the only two people's faces we don't even see. Yeah. Well, I mean, technically you could say Syl, but I, I know what you mean. <laughs> we saw Syl's face. It was just a mask. <laughs> right. Otherwise, Syl couldn't have gone la 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 la. <laughs> Side note, Syl, they did an audio drama, which is a, a third Syl story. <laughs> and it's gloriously bad. I, I love it. <laughs> It, it, it's entertaining bad as opposed to this, which is just uncomfortable. Bad. How do you like the concept of the human cell degeneration bombardment? It's, it's random psychobabble of guy in chair gets tortured in TV friendly slash cheap way. Okay. But I mean, in terms of like from a plot perspective, it's, it's, it's it, honestly, frankly, it's classic Eric Sayward because it is completely artificially inflating mistakes. There's no reason why this needs to exist culturally. There's no context for why it exists culturally. It's just to make well, when, well next time this guy makes decisions, you know, he might he might die, and it's like, why? Why would this exist? Um, this goes back to Earthshock, right? It's the. It could just be a neat little cultural exhibition gone wrong but no there has to be space marines with guns shooting things because that's the stakes need to increase because this book i read on writing scripts told me i have to increase the stakes let me say something really nice about this episode the military outfits and uniforms here are infinitely better than the two fifth doctor episodes we discussed their military uniforms there you go i'm done it's true it's true yeah yeah i can't really can't agree with this they're they're straight out of Whatever rack that the uh, Thals and uh, Khaled's had from Genesis Dogs. <laughs> okay. Right. Anything else about this chunk of episode one? Nah, I, I can save it. All right. Perry locates the TARDIS manual and presents it to the doctor. He quickly dismisses it. He says that he knows perfectly well what is causing their dilemma. The transitional elements from the TARDIS have stopped producing orbital energy and they need Zeiton 7 ore to realign the power systems, blah, blah, technobabble, blah, blah. Doctor explains that blah blah is exceptionally blah blah and Luke comes from blah blah Varos. The doctor repairs the TARDIS enough to get to Varos. They arrive straight before the execution of Zondoris to take place. The guard on the station to watch over the execution believes the TARDIS is a hallucination caused by the punishment dome and shoots at it. The doctor and Perry exit the TARDIS and the guard thinks they're hallucinations as well. With some help from the chain Zondor, Jondor, uh, all the wall, the guard is incapacitated. <laughs> The two free John Dor and make their escape after being cut off from the TARDIS by more guards. They are rescued by Rondel. He is defected after speaking with Arita and decided to help them, but he is killed shortly thereafter by pursuing guards. Dr. Perry, John Dor, and Arita continue through the Punishment Dome, attempting to make their way back to the TARDIS. During a run-in with another group of guards, the doctor is separated from the others who are arrested. 
He enters a corridor which appears to be a desert. A mirage of Terry taunts him as he suffers. With all of Varos watching, he succumbs to the heat and collapses with his end as a close-up. <laughs> I want to stop. I want to talk about the end very quick because this is a genuinely cute, clever meta moment that is lost in this episode. And especially, you don't notice it if you're watching it like I did, which was the bumper episode. I know this just because I know these episodes. Is the governor... A part of the thing is that they're, they're, they're filming all of this stuff with the doctor, and that's now entertainment for the masses. Again, a satire of television news as enter- media entertainment, which is neat attempt, completely lost in the script. But the governor is actually in the control room watching the doctor succumb, and he goes... And then his last line is, and then we'll cut it there. And then in the episode, it then cuts to the credits. So he's diegetically taking control of the episode of Doctor Who we're watching, which is a in, a in a defter hands could have been a nice metaphor for we are also the people watching the Doctor suffer, and therefore we are also just as culpable in this. But it's I have to assume that's by accident. I can't assume that was actually intended because of how the rest of the script plays out. But like, and again, in in a defter, stronger scriptwriter or script editor's hands, that could have been a very cool contextual moment. It was it was very Lynchian of them. Yes, I agree. If David Lynch had directed this, could you imagine? Then I would probably like it. Right. Uh, But anyway, back to the top. The TARDIS manual gag is more of the same. Um, which is still funny. It's still cute. I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to. It, it was entertaining to watch because it's Terry Perry going, read the fucking manual, and the doctor going, "No, I'm a white man. I know how technology works." So one of the one of the I think there was a cutscene from this that talked about them having other adventures and like the TARDIS actually having turned into a pyramid or something during one of their side adventures oh. that would have added even more context to this. And I am a staunch fan of referencing adventures that they have gone on that we don't see because yes. that we don't see because I like to envision that what we see are just snippets of their lives and time together. So the story goes on and on, which mm-hmm. is one of the reasons I like the big finished audio adventures because they sort of dive in and like add additional stories instead of having it be Dr. A goes and companion B and C through like this three year period and every single one of their adventures is back to back. I hate that concept. Right. Because the doctor is is hundreds of years old and if we believe a doctor which we probably shouldn't but if we do believe a doctor he has aged hundred they have aged hundreds of years since we started watching their adventures so obviously it needs to be stuff between the middle in, in the middle there mm-hmm. and that's another i was always curious about that how old do you really think the doctor is i know that in tenant era they said he was like 900 but i i disbelieve that what do you think <laughs> so it's funny you mentioned that because it depends on if you believe the timeless child story. <laughs> we're we're putting was... the timeless child story to the side because we have not discussed our thoughts on that. And we're not going to, you do it on this one. We'll do an entire episode <laughs> of timeless child. It rather. Okay. Based. So, so let's say based on the television knowledge we have up to this point, I do think it's probably in the seven, eight hundreds age wise. Okay. He's roughly Again, some information is true. He's roughly 400 by the time Tom Baker era, according to his own information. Um, his, he's said age a couple times. It floats around 400. Uh, Romana also makes a comment roughly to that effect. So I'm more inclined to consider that number accurate. 
So I feel like it has been probably a few centuries in these couple of incarnations. Okay, cool. It is harder admittedly justified during the fifth doctor just because there's very tiny gaps to wedge adventures in. Yeah. But the nice thing about Doctor Who is that if you can find any gap and exploit it, like my, my favorite is um, there is a gap because at one point in time, the doctor goes off by himself in one of the Turlo adventures. It comes back two minutes later and big finish decided, cool. There are now literally hundreds of years of adventures, which I just love the fact <laughs> the doctor goes, I'll be right back. And then gets distracted for three centuries. I, I, I genuinely believe that happened. <laughs> that is very much dare very much a fifth doctor thing. Hands right. down. Like I can't control when the TARDIS came back. I'm glad I made it back. Right. And then of course it blowed off like, Oh yeah, no, I was only gone for a few minutes. Tug, tug taller. <sighs> but uh, the, my, my, as much as I like, you know, again, the, 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 there's interesting character chemistry here. It's also peak made up words and not in a good way. Um, this is a Doctor Who era where it's like, we don't care what words you say because we don't think you care what words we say. So we're just going to say words. It's like, no, we do care what words you say. And also, why you're saying those words. Um, but it's really just MacGuffin, MacGuffin, MacGuffin. We have to go to this planet because MacGuffin, MacGuffin, MacGuffin. What would have been a better way to get them to the planet? Just have them show up? Well, I mean, it's not it's not the fact that the MacGuffin exists. Doctor Who arguably is built on them. It's the fact that the Doctor has, has as far as we can tell, made his own problem. And... Well, it's a, it goes back to my earlier point, right? Like, it's the if the goal is to make the doctor humble, he needs to be wrong. The problem is he's absolutely right. He does not need the manual. He does know exactly what the problem is. It is this or, and he's objectively proven true. That's the part I have a problem with. If it had been like, I know what I need to do. I need to go to this planet. We get there and it turns out, oh, actually, no, I had it all along. Silly me. I, I feel like that would have worked better because it's the then it's the did the doctor just make up that reason so we could have an adventure, or is the doctor covering for the fact that he actually doesn't know what's going on? There's interest there. In this case, it's no, it's the I screwed things up, but I actually secretly knew what was all along, and that was objectively correct. That was actually the thing I needed all along. I am not completely against that, but I do think the use of Perry in the manual is what sparked an additional idea because he had given up. And the fact that he true because without her, without her intervention, that would have caused this incarnation of the doctor to have just sat there for thousands of years and just died over and over again, having done nothing. So she is his creativity of a sort. And I mean, again, the trope of the, abuser who sulks and refuses to do anything until it gets his way from the woman he's courting is this frustrating problematic so i yeah i want to acknowledge that that is still there and still a problem but at the same time let's take it off the table for a second there's a stab towards interesting here in, of a doctor who just gives up we haven't really seen that before the problem is again this is all done infinitely better by Eccleston. Well, you can't judge those as the same. Eccleson had better scripts, had better support. Right, I know. An array of boons that Colin didn't. My 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 frustration is that Colin is right. If he had better scripts, his era of Doctor Who would have been better regarded. I completely agree with it because, again, conceptually, none of this is, is actually wrong. It's just the pieces landed 
in the probably the worst possible configuration, and Colin was doing his best to make it work. Though I won't lie, I did like the imagery that he had about him sitting there going through a generation after generation, slowly dying, compared to Perry being lucky and only have one lifetime. Like that was yeah. a nice little bit, like a little diamond in a pile of shit. Yeah, yeah, it, it's 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 evocative of what you talked about, Loving Fifth Doctor, of him being genuinely alien. We see a glimmer of that here, which again is just it's too rare. And, and sadly, between those two moments, the rest of the episode is kind of the doctor runs through corridors. What? He... <laughs> You're going to skip over the guard drawing down the TARDIS and shooting with the slowest laser beam that has ever been hand drawn? And the doctor and Perry pouncing out going, hello. <laughs> Again, like, if the scripts, if the scripts, acknowledge its funniness better that would have been a great moment of them just going this terrified guard who's shooting hallucinations and going hi what's up would have been great but it's it's not it's just it it's not funny in one of the back things is like it's since i've read up on a little bit is that they talk about how i think it's jnt and the writer blame the director for how bad this episode is hmm. but Colin and Nic Nicola say this is one of their favorite episodes they did. Yes. You do. Probably because of the TARDIS scenes and stuff like that. And again, like actually to the um the doctor dying in the desert thing, we see a vague stab towards and maybe this may have been a director thing of the doctor realizing how much he actually does value Perry in his life and how necessary Perry is to him. Um, that kind of gets subsumed into generic mirage peril. Did you also know, I'm just a tidbit guy today, as always for Doctor Who, the original title of this, one of the original titles was uh, Planet of Fear. Didn't they already do that one? They did Planet of Fire, and that's why they uh, didn't make it Planet of Fear. It was like Domain of Fear or Planet of Fear they're debating. And like Planet of Fear is too close to Planet of Fire, too soon. And so instead we got Vengeance on Veras. Which does raise the question, who's Vengeance? <laughs> I don't know. The Doctors, maybe? <laughs> Perry's? Sills? <laughs> I don't know. All right. Anything else about this chunk? I can make up stuff, but no, we can move on. Right. Episode two. During the ordeal, Perry has been brought to the control center in the company of Syl and the other officers. They question her. She watches them bring the doctor's body to an acid bath for disposal. It turns out he is not dead. His mind was influenced to make him believe he was dying of thirst in the desert. The doctor suddenly stands up and walks over to the attendants while their backs are turned. Surprise makes the first attendant jump, pushing the second into the bath. A struggle ensues. The first attendant is pulled into the acid bath by the second attendant. Doctor strolls out saying, you'll forgive me if I don't join you. Let's stop here because it's one of the most notorious scenes in Doctor Who. <laughs> so before we get into this, if his mind was tricked to think he was die, shouldn't he have regenerated? Right? Also, I was waiting till we got here to say that. How? Also, like, how? I mean, again, if we go with the idea of this was a regeneration god bad... Maybe his mind is weaker than it is normally, but like 
the doctor, one of the doctor's big conceits is his brain is amazing and doesn't fall for this kind of garbage. And yet it does because we needed a cliffhanger. <sighs> All right. Let's let's talk about the doc the second person the doctor kills in this episode. Or third, depending on how you look at it. Right. So Do you know who the first have, one was? You have said repeatedly, and I agree with you, the doctor kills a lot. <laughs> Do you know who the first one was? Remember when they saved um Jason Connery? And he yeah. turns the death ray machine to be more powerful and aim it down the hall? Kills a guard. No one talks mm. about that guy. You That's could true. say that because he failed his perception role, but he wouldn't have failed a perception role. The doctor had made it more powerful and turned it towards him. True. 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 But again, like the, the, the fan argument, which I don't put a lot of stock in is that until this scene, if the doctor kills, it is by accident or at a remove. He does not directly kill. That's just not true. So I think on the one hand, this scene gets too much stick because this is the logical – if you're writing dour, serious sci-fi inspired by Roger Moore, this is the kind of scene you're going to get. You know, If you want to play a doctor who has an edge to him, and if you don't understand what that really means, this scene should be, a, should be an expected outcome. But it's also separately – Exactly everything is wrong with Eric Sayward's era, era because a doctor who makes a quip to, after is, you know, leaving a dangerous situation is, is just classic. I mean there are many of the doctors have done that. The, the problem is that there was no attempt to save him, and I think that was saved a lot of this scene. Like if the doctor had tried to save him, failed, and then made the joke to kind of – cover his grief or frustration not being able to save someone that would have added a lot more texture to the scene you can almost see a david Tennant doing a scene like that right but what it comes across as just you shove a guy into acid and then make a joke about it for the other people say that he didn't shove him the first attendant pulled him how you said he merely positioned him to be pulled into the acid bath Right, and also, yes, you're right. It doesn't actually shove him, but it doesn't make any attempt to save him either. It would have only been better if Colin had turned, looked at the camera, and said, who? Doctor who? And, like, walked away. Tour de force, tour de force. Right, right. the thing is, like, like, there's lots of different ways this could have gone, and this scene shows none of them, right? It's like you can make it funnier, you can make it more poignant, something. You could have made it an illusion, right? Like in trying to undermine the doctor's confidence. Anything. It's it's just it's just artificial inflating of the stakes and it damages the doctor's character as a result. But to your point, and I agree with you, a lot of fans looked at and said this is out of character for the doctor. It's not, it's just ineptly handled. Yes. And it comes down to the point that both those attendants wouldn't have died if not for the doctor doing what the doctor did right then. Like even the one he was struggling with, he was moving him towards the acid anyway. So even if the first attendant hadn't pulled him in. Right. I mean, compare this to Genesis of Daleks, right? Like so many people die in Genesis of the Daleks and a lot of them die because the doctor is actively pushing people's buttons. The difference is, is that Tom, well, it's Tom Baker's gobsmackingly charismatic. B, it's a good script. B, 
but mainly it's because the doctor is showing some kind of remorse for what's going on and consistently shows remorse. It's the, I don't want to do this, but this is the, the hand I've been dealt. In this case, what comes across is Colin Baker, sorry, sixth doctor stumbles into the situation to get some gas for a ship and starts murdering people because the gas is not immediately available. Or I would have liked it better if he kicked him and said, this is Veros. But, <laughs> and then he fell into the acid bath. Very, very reminiscent of another, of a movie that I'm not going to tell people the title of to see if they catch my joke. Yes. It would be great if he don't mocked a movie that did not exist yet. I agree. Hey, he's a time traveler. He knows about that movie. Continuing on with this first part. Uh, after making his way from the acid baths, the doctor is cornered by Quillum, Varus's chief scientist, and taken away because that's what you do in these situations. Back in the control center, it is decided that Doctor and John Dara are to be executed in the good old-fashioned way, while Perry and Arena were, sh- were reshaped with a cell mutator. The Doctor and John Dara are placed in the nooses while the governor and Syl watch. At the last moment, the doctor asks the governor about Syl and his extortion. Syl's bodyguards rush the platform and pull the lever. The two simply fall through the holes, the rope coming right off the support. As it turns out, there was be no execution. It was all to get information out of the doctor. The doctor suspected this when he noticed that they were not being filmed. The group tries to stop the stell mutator on Perry and Arita, but they are told it is at too advanced a stage. The doctor and John Dark grab the weapons of nearby guard to intimidate Quillum to deactivate the mutilator, but it fails. The doctor resorts to shooting the entire control panel. The process is stopped in the nick of time, and Perry and Arita return to their original form. The four escape back into the depths of the Punishment Dome towards a possible escape route. Perry, still in a stupor from the mutator, is recaptured and taken to the control center. This is dumb. Remember I how s- you, you said the doctor is known for his brilliant mind? You know, Eddie, when I'm in doubt and my companion is in danger, I'll just shoot whatever the fuck I need to shoot to make it all stop. Right. I won't, and- like, never mind, go ahead. No, I was. No, I mean, you're, you're, you're right. Like, yes, the doctor has done these kinds of things before, but sadly, most of them are under Eric Sayward's jurisdiction. So there's, a, that's not exactly a good example. The part that really frustrates me about all of this is the people who are trying to stop the mutators say, "No, it's too far advanced." The people who helped build these devices have said, it's too far advanced, we can't stop it. The doctor shoots a console and they go, what a brilliant solution. If if you knew that was a possibility, why didn't you just shut it off? Why did the doctor have to shoot it to stop the thing that you said is too far advanced? Well, they didn't have time to call the IT department who would have told them to turn it off and turn it back on again, and that would have fixed their problem. Right. Second Why do we one. even have this character? Why do we even have this character? Right. I mean, and also a further point of why the doctor is maybe the villain here. These two people would not have been potentially hanged where they were just trying to, to, to get information on the doctor. And like, okay, so why did the hanging have to happen? Why couldn't they just use the thing? I mean, it's like you know, the, the device has been destroyed. They can't use that as the torture method. It's like, okay, but if you're just making it up anyway, just say it's still working. There's there's so much wrong with us. The two of them managed to overpower all the guards in there. And then they both leave the room to go check on Perry and his and the rebel leader's partner. 
So yeah. there's no one in the room with the guards who already have guns and the two of them took guns. Why, why do they let them come back? There, there are so many things that I could pick apart here that I'm trying my damnedest not to. Right. But, but, but again, like, my my frustration is there are glimmers of interesting like like the doctor going I know this was false excuse because you weren't filming is a damning indictment of this society and an interesting critic critique but it's lost in in just run around plot nonsense right it, it's it's it it frankly feels like someone took a a script of doctor basically like did a a, a mad lib of Doctor Who plot. And then added, okay, but let's actually add some interesting criticism to it, but none of it's hanging together, right? It's – if anything, it would have been more interesting if, like, no, we are filming it because all these ex- executions are largely theater. Why, why would you not make more content even if it's a fake execution? You know, I mean it's like you're not thinking through your criticism here. Absolutely. Isn't that also a play on, um, I think they were called video nasties. Yeah. That's, that's good. That's another thing. Those are you know, video nasties was a, uh, largely manufactured outrage in British society. that video cassette training had gotten become illegal and illicit, uh, because they were trading things like snuff films effectively. Um, and that there were lots of these videos that are being traded and there was no regulation of them. Uh, and as a result, teens were being corrupted. It was it's it's the comic book outrage just in a new form, and it gets done again in a different form for video games. And it keeps being every ten or so years, uh, uh, rap albums get this. It's it, it, it's always a manufactured outrage. But you're right in this particular era, it was genuinely believed that people were basically filming snuff films and trading the kids, which and is a also a- snuff films. I think why the they changed the title or they got rid of the weapons for uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when they came over. That was a slightly different thing because a kid bought a pair of nunchucks and injured himself, I think, fatally as a result. Um, and so there was a legislation passed that quote-unquote ninja weapons were illegal. Okay. But what was the def- ninja weapon was apparently ill-defined, but that way the, the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles – uh, yeah. came over um and the nunchucks had to be removed uh, michael michelangelo was given a stick i think i don't remember uh some different weapon yeah but so, you know I, four I, stars I, fine well come on you can't hurt yourself with those just others <laughs> as we said the entire thing fell apart and i still don't know why we have quillum this lead scientist here who character serves no purpose I keep thinking, like, what is his reason? Screen time, they could have given, given Quillum, could have gone to John Dar or I forgot her name, but, like, to build up their characters and give them backstories and plot instead of random scientists that he wants to be here. Right. And, and honestly, it feels like it's because Doctor Who always has an evil lead scientist at this stage of the story. It's It's, it's frustrating because... Like honestly, I could see a good version of this also that would have been one forty-five minute episode because this chunk I just ran through is largely padding. Um, I mean, I, I feel like if if you cut a lot of this stuff out, you could probably maybe an hour, but so much of this stuff just doesn't need to be here, frankly. I could see this as a great two-parter. How they have it 
if they had rearranged the emphasis they put on the episode, like giving other people a little bit more backstory, focusing a little bit less on the torture. Like once we get there, we see the torture. That's all we need. And then you could have added in the other textures and layers to it to make it more fun. Right. I will say though, that if all the shtick I give this episode, it is Colin. One of Colin's most iconic scenes comes from this. That is like a, an image that goes around everywhere where he sort of has his hand extended in his crappy coat. Like that is a beautiful scene and like perfect image of Colin doing that. And it feels powerful even in that crappy coat and the crappiness of this episode, beautifully shot captured right there. Well, I mean, I'll talk a little more about talking about it here too. Like to your point, he believes himself to be the smartest doctor, even though he's not. But one thing that the sixth doctor has is tenacity. It comes mm-hmm. across as stubbornness, but you're absolutely right. Like right after the scene that he's most reviled for, we kind of gloss over the fact that this doctor will just keep going. And he may not be the smartest, he may not be the cleverest, he may not be the most charismatic, but he will, if he gets his teeth into something, he will stick with it. And again, there's a version of this script where it's like, because at one point during all this stuff, there's a little bit of, why is he doing this? You see Colin trying to grasp for the, it started off because I needed this for my ship, and then they touched Perry, and now it's fucking on. Right, there's you can see glimmers of that in this chunk. It's it's so lost in the editing and the script writing, um, but there could have been a great version of this where it's just like, okay, now I'm going to destroy a society because you hurt my friends. Mm-hmm. And it's it's that weird sort of dynamic where you may have a friend that you're not fond of, but anyone else messes with them, you're going to fuck them up because they're still your friend. It's it's that sort of thing, right? And again, I've come to learn that some of this might be cultural too because uh, random digression. Uh, one of the podcasts I listen to is based on Sonic the Comic uh, from the 1990 Sonic the Hedgehog the Comic. And one of the things that the British version of Sonic comic book gets stick for is that Sonic is, is a jerk. And at first I was like, well, I always thought Sonic was. But one of the things that two hosts who do that, uh, one is from Northern Ireland, one is from the uh, center of England, uh, they talk about is that that's a lot of British friendships is you make fun of your friends, but if someone then picks on them, you go after them. Um, and that's I, – I have always kind of grown up with that bit of like you know ribbing your friends is kind of just a cultural thing. It's a point where I've actually had to roll that back in later life because not everyone has that same cultural connection. So again, I – when Perry and the Sixth Doctor are written well, I think that antagonism plays well as we are such good friends that this bickering is meant to be good-natured. It did not start that way at all well. And again, I, I don't want to gloss over the fact that a lot of this is a scarily accurate metaphor for how abuse works, but I I really feel like that was the intent they're going for, and there are glimmers of it you could see here. Again, like the Totardus manual scene and so this could have been a great moment of yes i make fun of perry constantly but you don't get to hurt her i do want to take a moment to talk about the doctor escaping in that super fast go-kart that he (laughs) darts off in okay that was it that that, i have no other comment i can't uh, go through this without talking about that go-kart though 
Uh, what was there was another episode with Leo and the Fourth Doctor where they also raced in go karts and it was like the slowest chasing ever <laughs> and the longest hallway ever. <laughs> oh yeah, I just I love those though. I mean, those are pretty much you kind of secretly loves it. Like okay, you're not even trying to hide that, and I kind of respect the fact you're like yeah, whatever. This is what you got, guys. So it, I I can let a lot of the production value things go, but there are just some things that that stick out so much. Even right. if they try to like make it look like it's something else, you can see I see that go card no, in there. It's, it's it yeah, it, buddy. Just no. <laughs> All right, wrap it up. The chief and Sil make their final move on the governor, hoping he will be killed in the next vote, securing their control of Veros and the Zaiton Seven Ore because that plan always works. Meanwhile, the Doctor, John Dora, and Arita make their way to the end zone of the dome, where the exit is supposed to be. The vote starts and the bombardment begins, but the guard, Maldak, has a change of heart and shoots the device to stop the bombardment, saving the governor and Perry. The three make their way through the ventilation ducts to meet with the Doctor, who then steals and begins to drive a patrol car. Doctor Group is chased by two cannibals and loses them in some poisonous tendrils. A chief, Quillum, and two guards arrive on the scene but are ambushed and entangled by tendrils killing them. The doctor's group meet with Perry, the governor, and I have to stop you, Eddie. Yeah? Because you skipped the scariest part of this entire scene, and before you move on, you know I'm going to comment on it. It's probably why you put it in there. Two old men in diapers chase them. Please go ahead. They all make their way back to the control center and put an end to Sill's plans of controlling Varos. The Galatron Mining Corporation also began to side with Veros. A second source of Zaiton 7 ore has been found. The evasion of Veros is canceled, and so is ordered to obtain the Verosian ore at any price. The governor then asks for 20 credits per unit, much to Sill's horror. The governor thanks the doctor and Perry and asks if there's anything he could do to them in return for their help. The doctor modestly remarks he could do with some Zaiton 7 to fix his TARDIS, and the governor replies he can have as much as he needs and tells them Melduck will arrange it. The doctor and Perry bid the governor farewell. After the success of the revolution, the governor issues a message to the citizens saying there will be no more injustice, torture, and executions. Eric and Lita watching disbelief, wondering what they'll do with their newfound freedom. Diapers, Eddie. Diapers. So. Why are cannibals in diapers? Where did they get the diapers from? Why did they put the diapers on? Why are they still in diapers? Why, Eddie? Why are the diapers still a pristine white like they've just been through the cleaners? This so is like, how bored I was watching this, and this is what my brain thought about. I'm 98% with you because it's straight up, we need to add some more time to this script. But also, I remember the giant clam in Genesis of the Daleks. So there is a tradition here of random peril because reasons. <laughs> But you know what, though? Genesis of the Daleks was so enjoyable that my brain didn't have time to focus on that. This is so painful to watch. I stopped to think about that to distract myself from how bored I was. Which leads to the my, resol- my realization when I was watching this at this stage was how video gamey this whole thing is. To the point where it's like we actually reached the, the end zone of the dome, and I'm just like, it's the final level, it's the final boss. So of course we have to have random cannibal diaper wearing people coming after me because that's what you do in the last level of the game. You have random things attack you. Oh, mm. So the story ends with the resolution that capitalism solves everything. 
Well, it does. Look, look how prosperous the American society is. It benefits everyone. It's not wrong in any possible form or fashion. Which is, well, again, like I, I see there's an attempt to try to do something interesting and, and compelling here. And it just completely misses because this whole thing ends because the mining corporation found a second planet to exploit. And the doctor goes, job done. What? It's it, it just reminds me of the Sailor Moon meme of like, but you didn't do anything. <laughs> so then does this mean that I should have been rooting for the governor the whole time? Apparently. If, if only you hold out long enough, then your demands will be met. And there's a union joke here that I'm just not finding yet, but it's. The, the governor that has supported all the executions that was torturing our rebel hero and who knows what other atrocities he's committed throughout the entire course of time. That is a person I should have been rooting for. Right. Because like there'll be no more injustice, torture and executions, but your own society, your own cultural society, the, the statical you support says that if you put a vote and you fail, you have to be tortured. So if you're overthrowing that society arguably you need to put that to a vote which might fail and therefore you get tortured for <laughs> yes nothing has actually changed and again to the point where it's and it's almost there with the two people at the end are like what are we gonna do now but like there, there's a way that could have been like they could have commented like so we'll it's the well what are we gonna watch now right but it could have been the oh so we'll watch him at the next vote which could have made a slight dig towards nothing really changed but that's not the show we're making here can sh- can we say that they're they're both adam and eve why would you say that well a and e are their initials they're in a room together okay all right i see what you're doing there that yeah. may have been attempted the clever there is a reading of this of this whole episode and this is the one that i kind of subscribe to is that Venge- if you watch Vengeance of Zavaros, because I'm going to my wrap up now because there's nothing else to say. Nope. You you got to point out that Do all I? those people the doctor killed with instant death plants. Oh, you yeah. You yeah, say no. that he didn't pull the rope, but he ordered their execution. Yeah, absolutely did. Yeah, absolutely did. But that's kind of where my point is like, okay. there's a reading of this that Vengeance of Zavaros is attempting to criticize television and what it actually is a criticism of Doctor Who. Vengeance of Varos is what happens when you have boilerplate Doctor Who and strip away all of the charm and realize the horror that the Doctor leaves in his wake. It's not perfect, but when I started thinking that through, too much of the script lines up to that reading in a way that is uncomfortable. <laughs> I can see that. It's something that we've talked about before, but at the same time, then you don't make that commentary about your own show that you're right. creating. Right. I, I, I know Eric does because Eric didn't like where the show was going, didn't like JNT, and I think definitely didn't want Colin in the role. So I'm not surprised by that. But the fact that JNT let it air is what I'm more surprised by. Right. This is the kind of thing that a fanzine should do or a parody of Doctor Who should do. Doctor Who should not be critiquing itself this harshly. 
And the worst part is it's not entirely wrong to critique itself as harshly. So that's one of the reasons why I have a I don't even want to say affection for Vengeance of Arrows. If, if someone's like, hey, we should watch the Six Doctor stuff, I'm probably going to throw this on because there is glimmers of genuine criticism here, but it's all pointed in the wrong direction. And it, 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 it's, not, it, it, it's not saying the things it thinks it's saying. And as a result, it's saying something else that's actually interesting and poignant, but all it says is, Maybe Doctor Who should have been canceled about two, three years earlier than this. Because this is definitely a show that doesn't know what to do anymore. I think it's also because if they could have, they needed a, ch- a change up in the upper management. Yeah. Like Jay and Tina to be gone, Eric need to be gone, and they needed new people to come in. Mm-hmm. Which is part of the reason the seventh Doctor will work so well is when they get like Cartmel to come in, which is an entirely different energy with like an entirely different agenda. That's new. That somewhat newer and fresher than what this was, right? And while people rightfully say that the last two seasons of Doctor Who are among its best, I would even argue that the first season of the Seventh Doctor is miles better than a lot of the previous stuff. Um, it's silly and goofy, but frankly, Doctor Who needed a bit of silly and goofy at that point to for it to calibrate to the right balance. Yeah, I mean, I will go to bat. For some of the Mel Seventh Doctor stuff, because I think it needed to be that silly to get to the right level. This is too far of an overcorrection. Um, uh, it, it Tom Baker maybe pushed the show to be too much of a comedy near the end of his run, but he is not wrong that comedy helps to make the darkness stand out more starkly. And Colin is bringing the wrong kind of comedy to this. This is black humor, and black humor has a place in Doctor Who, but it needs to be leavened with something, and it's just all missing. And it, it, on top of the fact that Perry's only role in this after having a, gl- a glittering moment of genuinely get, putting the Doctor in his place and then getting him to do his job is just to be completely used as a MacGuffin to be per- put in peril for the entire rest of the story. Is, is, is just frustrating. That's why we don't mention her name again pretty much throughout the entire rest of the thing. Yeah, at because all. No, she's she doing thing. Ugh, so disappointing. So, I mean, yes, you're, you're, you're right to be frustrated by Veros, but my argument is, what else can we watch? Is there anything else we can watch about the Sith Doctor? Well, I, I could tell you, but I'm going to do my quote first. And I do have one other comment. Do you feel that Judge Dredd could have walked up into this episode and been here? Oh, 100%. This is very much that kind of 2008 energy. But again, even 2008 gets its own joke. Uh, a quick quote for folks before we tell you what we're doing next time. Quick. In all my travels throughout the universe, I have battled against evil, against power-mad conspirators. I should have stayed here, the oldest civil- civilization, decadent, degenerate, and rotten to the core. Power-mad conspirators, Daleks, Cytarans, Cybermen, they were all still in the nursery compared to us. Ten million years of absolute power. That's what it takes to be really corrupt. That is my favorite $6 doctor quote that I, I botched a little bit, but I still love it. And I want to get it in because I definitely won't be doing it next time. Although it's in the serial from what we're doing next time. So what are we Which doing? Which is do- the mysterious planet. It is, uh, comes from the trial of the Time Lord. 
So one of the things I shared with Eddie that I'll touch on here is that I dropped in our uh, Discord a chat about the Save the Doctor music video they made because the BBC can't silently cancel Doctor Who. And people thought it was gone. And Colin Baker and a bunch of other people sang a little song to sway the BBC to let them come back. And they made a conjoined serial called The Trial of the Time Lord that introduces one of my favorite concepts of Doctor Who, the Valyard, that, which is then squandered for uh, the new series. Yes. Yes. Oh, God, I have, I have lots of thoughts about The Trial of the Time Lord. So we're only doing just The Mysterious Planet, right? Yes. We might give you a brief recap at the start of the episode for anyone that doesn't want to watch all of it. But on the whole, it's not bad. It's better than Twin Dilemma. Yeah, I mean, the Trial of Time Lord was basically JNT trying to save the show, and so he put a lot into it. And it's okay. <laughs> they they pulled in new writers. If I remember right, Sayard had gotten the boot by then. Yeah, who was the script director during... Well, we'll deal with that next episode, but I'm curious. because yeah. I, I think it's a different script director at this point. I think the... I forgot their names, but the couple, I think, are the ones that did some of the writing for it because they came in later after... Oh, uh, the Bakers? The, uh, yeah, more Bakers? Because <laughs> Robert, Holmes, Robert Holmes was writing some of it and Robert Holmes passed, and so I think they had to jump in. And I think, nope, I take that back. I think Sarah is still here, maybe, for part of it. I, I, I'll have to double-check because my memory is faulty on it, but right. definitely I remember the couple coming in and wrapping things up, and that's why the ending ended how it did. Pippin something Baker. Oh, I yeah. Um, cool. Well, then, yeah, so uh, we, will, we will touch on more Sixth Doctor, I guess, <laughs> next time. Chris, if people wanted to talk to you about how Avengers of Baros is an amazing postmodern examination of all the failures of Doctor Who, wherever they find you online. Instead, they can take a short, they can take a long walk off a short pier. But if you want to talk to me about other things, you can catch me in the Discord, or you can follow me on social media like Darker Who Studios all over the place. What about you, Eddie? Um, you can find me most anywhere as uh, Pugsteady, um, but you can also find me on the Darker Who Discord. Uh, if you have money after contributing to Chris's Patreon, I also now have a Patreon where I'm writing short stories set in my creator-owned world, The Realms Pugmire. So uh, if you want to check that out, I would very much appreciate it. But otherwise, you can find us both chatting and needling each other in the Darker Who Discord. Is your Patreon up and running right now? It is now up and running, yes. Have you made any posts on our Patreon yet? By the time you're listening to this, you should have, the first reward should have gone out. What is the title of said first post? Uh, Winter of Man. You, th you think you're going to catch me out on this stuff? I'm prepared. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll, I'll let it go. <laughs> For now. So with that, we will see you all next time when we find out what exactly is this planet and why is it so mysterious. Fucking Vindits on Veros. Oh.